Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new edition of the Krishna Rash Show. And we do have an excellent topic here to discuss, uh, artificial intelligence. So um, but let's get started here. How are you doing, Chris? Doing great. How are you? Doing well. Good. Um, I was just going to mention, it was funny because I just had a conversation earlier today about um, driverless cars. Oh, that fits in perfectly. And that's yeah. actually one of my questions. So um, that's that's awesome. So um, let's get started here on artificial intelligence. First, how do you feel about it before we go deep into, into the topic? What's your general feeling about it? I think I think for me I sort of have sort of two layers of of reaction which is on a day-to-day -day basis I think it's pretty cool like I think <laughs> it's actually like you know I kind of welcome it to a certain extent and I think you know I want to see what it can do I think there's a lot of positives but then you know there's a very sinister side to it and it's sort of all the the big kind of tech people and people who know better than us, Elon Musk, Bill Gates, Stephen Hawking, have all issued, you know, these tremendous warnings, you know, saying AI will eat us all. Like this is, you know, we have to be so careful now. And it's kind of like, oh yeah, that's kind of, we are in a kind of a Black Mirror episode probably when it comes to AI. How about you? What, how do you feel about it? I feel curious about it. I'm I'm see it generally in a positive way, but I can see also how it could be misguided and used for nefarious uh, purposes for evil. And um, so, but I think that's everything pretty much. Uh, and uh, I, I talked about uh, social media yesterday about how you can use it for good or or evil. And I think nuclear power is a great example of that too. That um, we can use it for different purposes. But I think the different, I think the what's different for me though, like you said, it could be used for nefarious purposes, suggesting that the, the problem would be other humans, right? Like That's sort right. of in the, in the but I but what I think Bill Gates and Stephen Hawking and Elon Musk are warning are not so much, you know, like what if bad people get it, but rather what happens when the machines take over, you know, like an us, like a matrix kind of situation where, you know, basically AI becomes super intelligent and like, and, and, you know, the, you may know the word singularity, you know, that's the, mm -hmm. that, that the moment when, I mean, it's not necessarily they become conscious or something, but a, a point at which AI becomes independent of us. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, I think that so there's that kind of um, sort of X, X quality about AI. You know, it's, it's not just like, oh, it can do this so much faster. Oh, it can do this under, you know, duress. Like we could send it, send a robot dog to the Arctic and, and so, you know, so that no actual dogs or humans would have to be there. But actually, when you have these sort of hyper, you know, let's say intelligent machines they actually start doing things differently you know sort of according to their own mandate well this this would be the the frankenstein complex that we have and the the fear and it can go both ways i mean it can be somebody who is or something that is better than us 
and which it is, but it's also it could turn against us. So I think um, what's probably important is basically an element of trust, a leap of faith that we have to take, but also to make sure that we can safeguard it as much as we can. So the ethics of the person who's doing the programming, the algorithm, and however, I, I am aware that there are glitches, so things could go wrong. And so, so what do you think of uh, Asimov's um, uh, three, three laws of robotics, of um, uh, the idea of maybe having something like that in the core system? Well, that they, they can do no harm to, to humans. Yes, they can. They should. They should do no harm to humans. Uh, they should obey us humans. So, and they should try to preserve their own existence. I think those are the three points. But we can still see how that could go wrong. Yeah, I mean, uh, one of the things that I was reading about um, is that what something that a, an AI algorithms are very good at is exploiting glitches so they because they'll give be given some some purpose right mm -hmm. and then they will do their very best to carry out that purpose and if it if it means kind of taking advantage of some something that's a little off in other parts of the coding they'll 100 do so i have an example of this which i found really mm -hmm. interesting <clears throat> so there's um an algorithm that was supposed to figure out how to apply a minimum amount of force to an airplane landing on an aircraft carrier, right? So it's sort of being controlled by the AI and like mm -hmm. how much, you know, should you sort of push it down to, to, um, to, to land on the aircraft carrier kind of safely, right? Mm -hmm. But it discovered just trial and error that if it applied in the words of this, this text of a, huge force like if it just like totally just slammed it down that would cause an overflow in the program's memory and so the huge force would actually register as a very small force because the memory had been over overwhelmed mm -hmm. and so it's like oh well if ultimately all i'm trying to do is for it to register as a small force i just got to smash this plane down and I've been a very good robot today because I did what I was asked to do because it's not like thinking about, oh, yeah, there's like a little human that's getting crunched in it. Um, and uh, what was the other one? Um, yeah, like and, and game playing algorithms will find all sorts of ways that will be ways to win to have not, that are kind of on the not the exact rules of the game, but just sort of the edges of things, you know. So mm -hmm. it's like, a, again, that sort of sense of it's so smart. It's outsmarting us in ways yeah. that are ultimately potentially very, um, you know, hazardous to, to, our, to our existence. I think that's the fear, though. I mean, we, we are afraid that they are better than us, but they are. I mean, in terms of errors, uh, we are much more error prone than, than them. So in comparison, yeah. so we have to keep keep that in mind. And so uh, there's like, I think the difference between narrow and broad AI. And so the narrow ones were when we started with the chess playing. And at first we were hopeful because we did like, even when we had a pretty strong uh, machine that they're playing against, our best player would sometimes win. But now it's gotten to a point where it's don't even try. <laughs> you have yeah, no yeah. chance at all. And so I think part of our, our fear is, is that because they are better 
than humans. They are more intelligent than humans because of, again, what we've created. So it's that that Frankenstein complex where we created a monster that's more powerful, more intelligent uh, than we are, and maybe a sense of envy as well. Yeah. And, and to go with that, I learned an, an interesting term. You know, we know AI, but then there's also AGI. Ooh, and AGI okay. is artificial general intelligence. Hmm. And meaning that it's, you know, like what you described, I mean, even to play chess, obviously that's a fairly comp complex algorithm, but it is a sort of a, you're just playing chess, you know, like you can't do other stuff. Mm -hmm. But yeah. even, you know, in order for something, for a driverless car to operate, there's, you know, must be just, you know, thousands of algorithms and, and a lot of very different skills being used. And so you, when, when you kind of have that general package, it's a little bit more like us, right? Like we, we have like a general package of, of sort of cognitive abilities and, and sort of routines that we do that are applicable across a variety of different tasks. And so allow us to kind of double up on things and problem solve. And so one of the things that, um, you know, the Turing test. Yeah. Yeah. So that was sort of really getting there 30 minutes just for everyone. It's a, if you can chat for 30 minutes and have the person, you know, who's the human who's having a conversation would not be able to tell the difference between whether that was a, a, a computer or whether that was a, a person. But then there was some additional, I thought, very interesting tests that people uh, suggested. And that's simply the coffee test. And mm -hmm. that's like, can you make a cup of, like, can you go into the kitchen and figure out, you know, the coffee machine, what buttons to, what the buttons do, find the coffee in the cabinet, uh, you know, and all, you know, would that, is that something, because that would sort of be, again, a general sort of skill. So it's like, again, at this point, I know, but I mean, if they can drive down like a, a street in San Diego when they could probably navigate our kitchens, right? I, I've read a book on that. David Bader wrote about the main purpose was to show like how uh, how much effort it takes, how many mechanisms are involved to create coffee, and it's it's, oh, okay. it's quite quite interesting. And um, I was stunned like how much we we take for granted, but all the, the the processing that goes into it, and the memory, and remembering where things are, and remembering to buy the coffee in the first place and the sequences and then this disruptions we get with phone calls and still be able to continue uh, doing what we were doing in the first place. So it's, 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 it's quite complicated, but just to go to driverless um, oh, and the Turing test as well, I think that's quite fascinating. Um, do you think it's necessary for the Turing test that um, robots would blend in in a way like uh, Blade Runner? where you can't distinguish them from others. Do you think that is a necessity for them to, to, to pass the Turing test, which is what some people are suggesting, that they should not only um, converse with us, but also look like us and act like us and kind of blend in? Mm. Well, I think, I think it's an interesting start because I think we do have, I think the Turing test has been, um, we are we are there, and, and the reason I say that is I remember hearing about a um, a piece of AI that can book your hair appointment, <laughs> and uh, and I as I recall, I could be wrong with this, but as I recall, it was two two computers talking to each other, one of them taking the appointment at the hair salon, and one of them booking on on behalf of a client, 
And so it was like, hello, you know, Debbie's hair salon. Uh, yes, hi. I'd just like to, you know, book a, something for Debbie or for, for you know, um, Louise or whatever. And then it would be like, well, I got something on Tuesday. Oh, sorry, Tuesday's no good. Wednesday? Okay, you know, like they were able to handle all of that. And it was two computers talking to each other. And it was like, there, there weren't really any mistakes. You know, it was very much like a human conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure there would be ways to easily throw them off. But, you know, for that, it was sort of like, whoa, that... That was pretty close, you know. And, and we have uh, Sophia, I think, who looks very much uh, human. And so it is that idea of of them basically replacing us. So it becomes like harder to distinguish. Uh, am I uh, dealing with a human or am I dealing with a robot? We're still not there, but I think we are pretty close from videos that I've seen. Yeah, and I mean, but when you start talking about, you know, when sort of Blade Runner style, they might either look like, or like, you know, the movie Her. Mm-hmm. I was thinking of that too. Well, at least, you know, certainly sounds like, you know, very, very much so, and sort of syntactically really persuasive. Um, you kind of, what was interesting to me is like, you get like the uncanny valley effect, you know, sort of comes into play, but it was sort of in Her, it, you didn't really have that. You know the uncanny valley. Mm-hmm. Like, you know that sort mm-hmm. of feel, that sinister feeling of like mm-hmm. so much like us, but you know obviously not, and it causes us some anxiety, like 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 a Blade Runner robot that looks mm-hmm. very sinister because you know so so us and so not, but so cold and and kind of heartless or whatever, you, however you want to conceive mm-hmm. of it. But um, but I wonder if that'll even be the case because it'll be so seamless and so flawless that we'll just simply, you know, it'll just blend. And and then I guess the question, you know, remember data from Star Trek? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like there was so many interesting questions raised about um, sort of what humans need and a kind of um, almost like a solipsism about the, the relationships that people had with data. Like it was sort of, yeah, he's a robot and I and it just doesn't matter. Like it's just he fits into my world. Like he's just, you know, like that people would have emotional relationships with this, with data and he would respond in kind. And it was satisfying and meaningful to the human, but obviously kind of for, for an outsider, it's like you're having a meaningful relationship with something that isn't actually conscious. Yeah. And and yet, yet sort of, does the job like just kind of just sort of raise that question of what is it that how far will that go will we have i mean there's also obviously there's all sorts of i mean japan is a big one on this sort of ai pets for (laughs) for the lonely the elder but even i was going to say the lonely and the elderly but i remember seeing a show where it was like childless couples (laughs) and they would have some creature dog whatever that wasn't real but they were so they just would dote on it and if it if it at all broke down and if there's any parts that needed to be replaced they were just it was like taking the dog to the vet Mm -hmm. yeah 
I mean, something fascinating that I read about is that in places like Japan, um, they are so advanced in AI because they are thinking of uh, one of the reasons is to make sure that they can provide healthcare to the the senior population that's that's growing, and they don't have enough humans to do so. So once they have the technology, it can take away uh, the the uh, the positions of of humans, and they can provide. Um, at least similar care as as a pet. I mean, I know it's quite different, but um, also to respond to the needs of the person and interact with them. One of the cool things is you you would be able to program them. And I'm thinking of a scene in Interstellar where he is basically deciding what percentage of humor, sense of humor, should uh, should it have. And so so you can be quite in control. And one of the things that's quite fascinating with certain of the games that they're doing, like like say poker. You need to bluff. And so that is, um, I don't know if we can call it consciousness, but at least a certain amount of awareness of the situation to be able to say something that is opposite to what you've been programmed to do. And so it's 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 quite complex, but I think it comes, it's not consciousness. I wouldn't say it is, but I think it comes close to a sense of awareness. And the question would be also, would you be willing to date um ai like her because it sounded quite fascinating in her i was like hmm maybe <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah i mean that's sort of that's i just i i kind of when i think about that scenario i i imagine it, it being one of those like you you it, it starts off as a kind of a, a lark and it's just something that, yeah, whatever, it's fun. And then, you know, you, there, I think it's going to start, like, making you insane. <laughs> like, basically. Because I, I think yeah. what happens, you know, you, you come home and it's like, hey, honey, how was your day? And you're just kind of playing at the, you know, in your mind, it's still just a kind of weird, fun thing you're doing. Yeah, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, kind of tired. And then you start feeling that dependence on it. And then, you know, you're out with a bunch of people who have like, you know, sentient human <laughs> relationships and you go, what the hell happened to me? I am in a very deep relationship, you know, with um, what's what's the what's the Amazon uh, one? What's the, Alexa? Uh, or... Yeah, yeah. Like I'm in a relationship with Alexa. Like what happened? So am I. What's <laughs> <laughs> So am I, will the other person say. Yeah, exactly. Wait a minute. You, you can like get her, yeah. And then does it also mean that you're not open to having relationships with humans anymore? Yeah. Because but, humans but, are going to be kind of a drag after so, somebody who's so, who's so like, always there for you. Well, but the thing is, that programming, I think that's not a good thing. There should be an element of surprise, you know? So, like, you go in and there's, like, a percentage, like, just act in a different way, not something that, because then it becomes boring. And the the interesting part, the spice of life in relationships, which we talked about last time, is also that unpredictable element where you things could go in a different direction because we're humans. And so I think we need that element of surprise when we do the programming, but to 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 add kind of certain like spice to it, I think. Yeah. So just like you say, hey, how are you? You, you respond back to, how are you doing? Fine. Exactly. Nothing. <laughs> exactly. No, I'm just sort of picking up on something. Why don't you just leave me alone? Okay. Like, why don't you, you always put the questions. 
and they were just sort of like, and then you then we'd like have a like regular uh, kind of human relationship. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it. We'll see. I mean, it's it's. I'm sure that people will build. I mean, in, in low key ways, I think Alexa style assistants will become much more part of our life. Oh yeah, and I and I think it'll be natural for humans to treat them with a kind of a, a whimsical affection. I mean, we already do it now to certain yeah, Exactly. We already do that now. I mean, even like our, our relationship with objects now, whether it's a, a car, many people, or ships way back, you know, they would say she and her and and so the cars as well. And then uh, our phones today nowadays, because it has, we have such an attachment to it. So the emotional attachment to uh, devices already exists, to technology already exists it would be taking a step further. And I think that is already happening as, as you are saying. Yeah, for sure. What about driverless cars? Would you um, get into one? Would you buy one? Would you be interested in it? I'm, I'm all for it for sure. Um, Good, me too. You know, not, not a fan of driving, not a fan of Same other way. drivers. I think human error. I'm always surprised that there isn't more carnage on the road, you know, like, just because people pe- people drive texting, drunk, tired, insane. Or just road rage. It's terrifying. Rage. I've seen it in France. Yeah. Yeah. And even given that there may be a few fatalities along the way with AI too, overall, I think I would rather trust a machine than a person. And we're so tough on AI. I mean, there's like one accident and we go, oh my God, there was an accident. But humans do like lots of accidents yeah. and we, we get off the hook. So we have to be careful of that too and look in terms of data and uh, statistics. Yeah, and, and I mean, and they're just going to get better, right? Like I, mm-hmm. one of the interesting things that was mentioned that conversation I had earlier today was the, the an AI vehicle is talking to every other AI vehicle in the vicinity. Mm-hmm. So for example, if it's like, oh, there's, a, there's traffic congestion downtown, you know, on a certain street, then they can t- agree amongst themselves that some of them will go a different way, you know, like immediately, like these are you know split second kind of rerouting decisions that will totally make everything much easier or there's an accident or there's one cut, you know, being able to anticipate in, in, f- in five kilometers, I'm about to, you know, potentially encounter another vehicle in- instead of waiting visually for that that other vehicle to come into to view. Yeah, I watched a video where they actually stopped for pigeons. I oh mean, yeah, that, yes, yeah. I, think I think that's the same one that, that I saw. Yeah, yeah, and so so I was fascinated by that. I mean, it's it's better than, than most humans who wouldn't wouldn't stop, yeah, whether right. intentionally or unintentionally, not stopping for the pigeon. So I I think that's 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 quite promising. Yeah, and absolutely. it's funny because you can't actually take control if you do. It will just like you know just stop the car and just pull over. It's like okay. No humans are allowed. They were suspicious of humans taking control. We are running the show here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's sad. And I mean, you know, it's just, it'll probably be a private ownership is probably, I don't know if that would even be in in our lifetime, you know, like it's probably would be prohibitively expensive, but I can imagine it becoming like a fleet of of Uber, Uber style vehicles that would just, you know, come to your door just like an Uber, but there's no one there. Um, and, and then, you know, off it goes. And then one of the, one of the comments that, that I was talking to, person I was talking to was like, you know, and then maybe to some sort of disinfection state station or something sort of in between, 
riders because you wouldn't really, I don't know. I just thought, yeah, that would, that would make a lot of sense. Um, and, uh, you know, it would be nice to see more long range, you know, use of them because not just like sort of within the city, but, you know, Hey, I want to go, uh, I mean, it's sort of like a taxi cab too, but then you just, Mm -hmm. because you don't have a human driver in there, it might actually be easier. Like for example, Oh, I want to go to, to Salt Spring Island, you know, or something like that. And it's like, Mm -hmm. okay. And then, you know, the, the, it takes you all the way there and then it just kind of, they just leave it somewhere in a lot. And it's like, there's, there isn't a person that has to, to be like housed or whatever. You know what I mean? Like they could just be a more wide use of it. So that'd be kind of neat. What, what about, um, you know, sort of economy, you know, I, I was going to really... ask you that exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that was exactly my question. Um, I'm just looking at I'll let you finish and then I'll ask about the economy. So, okay. Okay. I'll, I'll take the question. All right. Um, I think like basically we are being treated like robots in a lot of our jobs, right? Just the idea of the assembly line is something that you're treating humans with their capacity, their intelligence to do repetitive actions that a machine would do as well and would do better than we do. So I think I don't see it as um, a threat for uh, most jobs because we do need that that human touch. But for certain jobs, including tr- uh, trucking business, they say AI could take over because the, the streets are, are relatively clear. They're not, we won't find jaywalking pedestrians as much. You won't find that many pigeons. It's quite possible to do so. Radiology, imaging, all these kind of things uh, AI would be better at. So why not you know, allow this to happen and then focus instead on jobs where the, the human touch is necessary, like such as daycares. You won't send your your child to daycare with a robot in charge, right? right. So, or, or teaching, which is, again, something that uh, we can relate to. And um, yes, it can do lots of things in terms of vocab, maybe translating devices, but the human touch is needed as well as with medical uh, in medical professions and so on. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Yep. Um, I, I wonder though, I, I am a, would be, I'm a little worried about how it may be miss, how it may be abused in an educational setting. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I feel like um, what is, you know, expedient, convenient, you know, on demand could potentially take, take over from the human. Like, you know, I think. But aren't some teachers like that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like sometimes I feel wh- where is the human side of this, you know, and so you're kind of automatically going through things, steps, you ignore the students' needs and uh, desires and so on. So maybe the, the uh, robot would be more compassionate in that way, in certain yeah. cases, of course, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know that I remember one, one of the things we were looking at, you know, as you know, at, work for a language testing company. And one of the things that we we're always looking at is, oh, you know, ways in which somebody could, for for preparing for the test, could um, record a response as a speak for the speaking test and then receive automated AI feedback on mm-hmm. that, like mm-hmm. without any teacher or whatever. And yeah. couldn't we potentially, if it was such a thing, could we ever incorporate it in our preparation pro- products and at first, there was a few things that were more like about tone and, and pronunciation, you know, like even, you know, karaoke machines can do this, right? Like 
where you sing and then they can measure how good you were in terms of pitch and all of that. And you get a score like where you were. You can become a professional karaoke singer. Cool. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, and so then it just became over the years sort of like they're expensive, but there is something that exists like that that will give you feedback on, on speaking, tell you sort of what you did right and wrong. And then even the AI that we see in terms of assessment, you know, like where it can actually take a, um, a, a piece of, of written or typed text and give you a score on how well this is an expression of academic English, <laughs> in, in, you know, for someone preparing for university. But the, and no human is actually involved. And it's like, wow, how, you know, and it's sort of part, kind of parsing clauses and, and looking at the grammar and all of that, which seemed, I think, to me, like, would have, if you would have told me that, like, even 10 years ago, I would have said, well, there's no way that 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 requires a level of subtlety that only human mind, you know, who's well versed in all things, you know, gr grammatical and all of that could do. Well, turns out it's <laughs> actually not too bad at it. Well, yeah. And so there are mental uh, health apps that are actually quite successful. And one that fascinated me was one that you can you can check up and you can say things and the AI would basically kind of take note of uh, your eyes, your face, your facial expression, your voice, and can decide, again, your mood and whether you need some extra help or, mm. you know, some some counseling and so on. And I found that fascinating. I mean, it might, there is a creepy element to it, but if it's done well, if it's done ethically and so on, I think it's, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. And there was a, a similar, I forget what it was that they can also detect physical diseases, mm -hmm. by, mm -hmm. like scanning your eyes and things yes. like that. And then it knows that you have some, you know, liver deficiency or something like that. It just picks up on things that as humans, we can't. So all of that is, you know, I think, sounds really good and, and it means that it could be available to potentially more people at a lower cost mm -hmm. so i think that's positive I, I and i love the idea that it wouldn't you know one day the machines do all the work you know like that we just become a, a leisure a leisure species and just pursue meaning and purpose you know and, uh, for ourselves rather than survival yeah, become more skilled. I mean, then we don't have to worry about that. And that's what technology is all about, to give us that freedom, that time that we need so we can we can do other stuff. But there's also distance surgery. I don't know if you've seen that, where the uh, the surgeon is far away and they can, through computers and AI and so on, they can do the surgery. And it's been quite successful so far from what oh, I've heard. That's really cool. Yeah. I was just now, of course, sort of on the way there, you know, what is it going to mean in, you know, globally for, for actual humans, you know, job-wise. I, I have this statistic here. Oh, cool. According to a recent World Economy Forum report, robot automation and artificial intelligence could replace 85 million jobs globally by 2025. However, it will also create 97 million new jobs. Oh, it creates more than we lose, right? So Yeah, but, but you know, it's not... Like you mentioned the example of the truck drivers, and I forget who mentioned that. Was it Elon Musk or someone who like AI could put put a lot of truck drivers out of out of uh, work? You know, like because of that. And it's like if your expertise has been, you know, driving a truck and and understanding, you know, the sort of supply chain that goes, you know, with it, whatever. 
it's not like Monday you got laid off and then Tuesday you're coding. You exactly. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so oh. there has to be some, you know, if if the if the rate of change is very rapid, you mm -hmm. know, then then it could potentially lead to a very destabilizing effect in terms of labor markets where certain skill sets just are sort of mm -hmm. kind of overnight, mm -hmm. you know, out of the picture. You know, it's like, oh, we don't need that anymore. You you 10 million, whatever it is, truck drivers or whatever else it is. And it's like something has to be done there to to there has to be a net, a sub, some sort of safety net and not just kind of yay, AI and and too bad about, you know, that you're suddenly unemployable because nobody thought about this like i think yeah. I, I think it's gradual but we also see it in in supermarkets where you do the paying yourself so the cashier becomes obsolete and it was it's not something that happens right overnight it takes some time but i i found that that's a brilliant move in terms of like you know capitalism it's like let them do the work let the customer do the work and we we save um resources and uh and um, employees for that and they can do other stuff instead yeah and did you did you immediately feel that way about that no, actually, just the other day, I was like, and because it's when it's starting, you just kind of think, okay, this is new. Maybe you're a bit excited. Maybe you feel proud. I can do this on my own. And then, but after a while, when you think about it, you step back, you say, oh, this is this is pretty smart. I'm doing the work for them. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't know. I, I I felt initially kind of resentful. Like I was kind of like, God damn it. <laughs> it's like, you know, and and I found that there was a lot of glitches. You know, like I found, like, if I didn't have, if I didn't want their bags, like if I had my own bags, for example, mm -hmm. sometimes it wouldn't let me go. Yeah. So I would have to get an attendant. So I'd yeah. be like, well, that kind of defeats the purpose, you know, yeah. like I have to get somebody. There was just like some little thing like that, or, you know, sometimes having to select the, the price code for some particular mm -hmm. piece of fruit or vegetable really was beginning to feel like the job of a cashier exactly. like seriously yeah. like what should i like you know go and wrap it up for you and put it in the store and, 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 and it, it for we have well? some cashiers who didn't know it and didn't do it well and we thought i can do it better and i'm not working at your store you know yeah but but i guess i mean i understand yeah i mean it's it obviously it, it's going to be a cost-cutting measure and ultimately maybe even result mm -hmm. in lower prices for us but i did feel like you know losing the human touch with the cashier was sort of uh, something that I missed in terms of like the shopping experience and just sort of, I imagine from a marketing or a kind of a sales point of view, it's like, you know, you, you there's something about having human interaction at your mm -hmm. IGA mm -hmm. that I would imagine sort of bonds you to your IGA to some extent. I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm overthinking it, but I just felt like there was something to be, to be said about, um, having that human interaction and and probably was good for for business, you know, where you'd be like, oh, I like going to, yes, I could go to Save on Foods, but it's so impersonal. I I like you know going to IGA and I say hi to to Maggie and uh, mm -hmm. and you know and 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 whatever it is, but it's like I don't know, maybe it's not that important, but it just felt like something that was missing in that in that. Uh, mm -hmm. But it often feels automatic. The only thing I didn't like, it just like, you know, they say the same things and phrases to the same people. So it's basically like a robot doing it. So for me, that that human interaction was kind of did not feel that great in, in some mm. ways. The machine could do the same thing. 
It feels yeah, like it sometimes. I guess, but they're not, you know, I guess even though the it wasn't like we're having deep conversations, uh -huh. but there was that acknowledgement of the other person's being, you know, a person. Yes, yes. You know what I mean? And, and mm -hmm. so it could be the most banal, ban, uh, kind of um, banal, you know, oh, look, look at the weather, mm -hmm. whatever it is. Mm -hmm. but, yeah. but there was some connection there of like, hey, you know, we're he I'm here every second day. You know me, I know you. And, and you know, just to have that moment of, of human connection. Seem like and, and especially now, nowadays, because I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm lacking it. I mean, we, it is wonderful to do things virtually, but then kind of that kind of just bit of touch where they pass on something and you grab it. You know, it's just like you can't do that on a, on a screen. So it's just like minor things, like you say. I think it's quite important. Um, let me see what uh, questions I had. Um, I think we actually... Um, answered them we answered them is ai taking away our jobs i think we did that um would you trust uh ai more or a human specialist if you had for example like um in certain situations like medical professions um I, I if you I had a choice like, i think i would like to i could potentially see a situation where there's an interaction between both you know mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. where i would be fine with like an initial diagnosis being carried out by some sort of ai Mm -hmm. But I would want to have the human kind of um, in, interpreting that, you know, providing me with some, you know, additional information, being able to answer my questions, being able to anticipate the possibility that it's a little more complicated than it seems, you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, it seems like it's still, you know, that that's somewhere we still, I think we need the human touch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and kind of explain things on our level, kind of the the teacher student interaction where you ask a question and you don't want to get the same response as everybody else. You want a personalized, individualized, tailored to you, specifically to you. And that is the human touch, I think, that that we need. What about the fear of um, drones and uh, the military using AI? I think that is my biggest fear mm -hmm. um, because they can be used with um, um, robots that that kill others but then i also look at soldiers certain soldiers and i'm thinking it's kind of pretty much the same <laughs> no in, in some cases again because you drilled into that kind of mindset but the capacity of like a drone deciding whether to shoot somebody or not and so on i find that very scary yeah and i mean obviously like obama's drone drone attacks mm -hmm. you know where mm -hmm. took out a lot of civilians took out a lot of people who who just collateral damage. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so, yeah, I think that's, that's a scary one that the precision or sometimes obviously there's both the precision is kind of scary in terms of how, you know, from uh, uh, the other side of the world, somebody can order a, a, a killing, but also the way that it can be imprecise and, and take and take out, you know, innocent lives as well. Like that's a really, scary thing um and uh yeah and i mean obviously you know we're seeing right now what what putin is doing in russia you know and it's just a matter of like somebody with no no moral restraint at all you know somebody who would just there would be nothing holding him back from what he wants to achieve he's going to use everything so with more sophisticated technology it'll be maybe will be a matter of the most psychopathic person wins because everyone else would be afraid to 
make maximum use out of it. At least with with nuclear with with nuclear weapons, there was that sort of mutually assured destruction component. But if you could have first strike capability with with technology that is so effective that there is no opportunity for retaliation, you know, it's like whoa, that's that's scary. Well, my my hope is to basically have robots on both sides and have it battle out. And whoever got the strongest robots would win and kind of eliminate uh, the, the humans out of the equation. I think yeah, that I is agree. my hope. So the strongest programmers would, would win. I think there is actually a program where you, you create a machine and they, they fight against each other and then one one group wins. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that would be... Like a, high school, like a high, like a high, like high school AI clubs that you know, yeah, exactly, build a yeah, really yeah. good battle battle robot, and uh, and then they they'll, they'll do like the great battle royale, and mm-hmm. then whoever wins wins, and then yeah, no human lives have to be involved. We just have like a robot cage match, and then it's like mm-hmm. okay, yes, exactly. everybody agrees exactly. that that's just the way it is, but it probably wouldn't stop there. But uh, yeah. but I have a, another question here that. Sure. Um, I came across, which was, you know, online, I think there has been attempts to do this. Um, could AI identify and potentially remove bias, you know, within social media? And, um, and, and the sort of the, I immediately thought of a, something I remember hearing about years ago, where they created a bot for Twitter, which was just going to be like, sort of a free form bot that was going to emulate the the information flowing around it and kind of gradually mm-hmm. build its own kind of identity and within a matter of a few days it became this like right wing hate bot like just spewing the most horrific uh you know discriminatory things like just because that's so much of what it what's there and and how much it's I don't know sort of it's it's kind of sticky in terms of attention mm-hmm. and uh, and it was sort of funny and sort of tragic but it had, it had to be you know diffused fairly quickly but uh, I wonder if you know how how AI, you know how AI is being used you know with Facebook always having this really terrible track record in terms of managing hate speech managing you know sort of they do have you know kinds of ai that sort of seems to get things wrong a lot you know where it's suddenly like oh the the one thing is considered some kind of hate speech but it clearly or 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 you know sort of but it's not you know it's mm-hmm. and then something else that clearly is gets through you know so well, I'm, I'm hoping that can be fixed. Uh, maybe this is because they're still learning and so on, and that's something that could be could be fixed later on. But at the same time, I mean, it's it's hard for humans sometimes to distinguish that too, and you have to think carefully. Well, was this meant as in this way or this way? Was this sarcastic? Was this ironic? Was this like just trying to make a point in it? And so it's 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 a tough decision. I think it's a tough call even for humans. So. In a way, I understand how that could be difficult, but then there's the blatant stuff that I don't understand. Like both the bot and the human should see that, and this is how they they tracked with certain like keywords and they they track terrorism and so on. Because um, yes, it can be done. So 
I'm kind of also wondering if it's just a lack of motivation and willingness from, from those companies to, to address that. I think we should have the know-how currently. I also think, you know, when we say can I identify bias, it's like, who's bias? Exactly. Well, that's the other question. Bias is a a very subjective matter. And Mm -hmm. it's sort of like, obviously, if if it's Fox News, they're going to have a very different idea of of what constitutes bias Mm -hmm. uh, compared to someone who who's, you know, more more left wing. So, yeah. And even like terms like discrimination, I mean, I I would tell students I discriminate on a daily basis between them because there are those who do better and those who do worse. They give you grades. That's a form of discrimination, but it's based on the work, based on what they bring in, not based on things like uh, sexual orientation or racial differences. And so it's not based on that. So we do discriminate all the time among each other and friends and Who's your friend and who's not your friend? That's, you know, you're differentiating between people. So it's something to keep in mind, too. Um, we do have a comment, actually, um, just noticed. So uh, that AI can go both ways by Ty. Thank you, Ty, for the comment. AI can go both ways, but it, it will seemingly replace portions of the labor workforce. And that's when we're talking about that. Yeah, That's yeah. absolutely true. Um, but again, the, the hope is that we will get more skilled and we'll have more skilled work uh, uh, there. But certain things, even if it involves skills, certain things uh, like travel agents, I think AI would be really good at that, of finding the best deals, most likely better than humans. And then also just to go back to that point of like, and then, you know, hopefully we move towards also just less work needing to be done, you know, so mm-hmm. that it's, it's just because, and, and people, so maybe people who may lose their jobs may not have to work as much anymore, you know, because we've got all these like robots doing stuff for us. And so, you know, we, we start getting into a place where we, you know, have all these robot servants, you know, doing all our stuff for us. Have you ever seen those, um, you know, like in, like in an Amazon warehouse where they, um, they have the stacking robots, you know, it's just, it's surreal how quickly and how, you know, how, um, what's the word for it? Like they're able to do such precise, you know, tiny little movements to kind of maximize the use of space, you know, Mm -hmm. and pick up a box and it zips over here and it goes over here. And it's like, you know, it would take days and days for humans to do that. You know, and so, you know, suddenly something like that can be done very quickly. So presumably there's going to be more profits because you're paying, you don't have to do that. But unfortunately, you know, despite what conservatives say, there really isn't very much trickle down in terms of like, that just means people at the top are going to get richer, I guess so. And, And we'll still have minimum wage workers who are, you know, either out of work or, or doing the same crap, some, some equivalent of the same crappy work they're doing now. Now, a complicated question and kind of controversial. What do you think? And there's been talk about that, the universal basic income, the idea yeah. of that, especially because technology is going to take over a lot of the jobs. So to guarantee people to have that, what's your stance on that? I'm not fully decided myself, but what? what yeah, I know. Think? I know that the concern always is that people will just do nothing. You know, yeah. like they'll just cash in there there, mm-hmm. and they'll watch TV and and just like ha- and and maybe lose. I think Elon Musk said something about that they would lose purpose. They would lose mm-hmm. a sense of meaning or purpose mm-hmm. because, 
they derive meaning and purpose from the fact that they are earning their living, that they're that we they identify with our work. Yeah, we identify right? with our with what we do, our occupation, because it's the question is, uh, you know, what do you do? And I am a teacher. I am a podcaster. I am this. So um, if you take that away, yes, it takes away the the purpose for that for many people. You're right. But I, I think that the flaw there is that you know it under underlying that you know would be the meaning must also rest on a survival basis, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of mm -hmm. like, you know, what do you do? I'm a teacher. I take great pride in helping my, my students. Okay. So here's a million dollars. Are you still a teacher? And you're like, hell no, yeah. screw the students. I don't care about them. So, yeah. you know, it's sort of, I feel like underlying it is the, the honest answer would be, you know, I, I would rather, you know, I would, I would rather be doing, you know, skiing or traveling the world. But since I have to work, I have kind of gone heart and soul into teaching with the understanding that I would not be doing this if I didn't have to. So, you know, the meaning and purpose part is coming partly from that survival instinct. And we see that with people who win the lottery and some people just say, you know, screw this. I'm not doing this anymore, my work, but others still continue. And even though it's kind of low-skilled labor, they say, no, I like going to the store. I like being a cashier. And they continue, even though they have uh, a lot of money in the bank account. I think that's important. I think it should come with uh, certain like ideas of like maybe you have to be engaged in education. You have to take courses. You have to build skills. And then you get your, your income. So some sort of conditions, mm. I think, attached oh. to it. I, I, would, I, I don't know if I put any conditions on it, but I think I would... Um, you know, make have some public education around this idea of, of meaning and purpose. You know, it's kind of like because I think what will happen is that I've, there are a lot of people who will initially. I well, actually, I not to be. I'm not going to be that cynical. I'm going to say that for I don't know if it's the majority of people, but many would view this as awesome. Now I can do pursue that thing I really wanted to pursue. Yeah, and and yeah. they're not going to say well, that's great because I just want to do like zero with my life. I just want, you know, mm -hmm. I just want like minimum stress. I want to sleep in and watch TV all day. I don't think, I'm sure yeah. there's going to be a ton of people do that, but I yeah. don't even think that's like the majority. Yeah, um, I think and, there'll be and, more podcasters too. There'll be people oh, like yeah, doing this kind of stuff. It's like, yeah, I, I'm getting paid. <laughs> and, and then the other thing is people might go through that phase, you know, where they might be like, yay, TV every day or whatever. I'm just going to, but you know that that's going to get old in a, in a couple of weeks or a couple of months, and uh, and then they're going to say, then there might be a kind of um, almost a, a crisis, you know, that's felt throughout the world, or you know, in this sort of fantasy situation where we actually have it, where people are like, oh wait a minute, and it becomes a kind of a cultural movement, you know, like where people become aware of like, oh, actually doing nothing is not a recipe for for happiness. Mm -hmm. Um, and then people will, you know, it just becomes part of our culture that it's like, well, now that you are no longer working for survival, what will be your path of meaning and purpose? Mm -hmm. And there'll be all sorts of resources to help you identify that. And that's, that's actually funny because I'm currently taking a course to be a meaning and purpose practitioner. 
And so it's sort of, and, and it sort of talks about, you know, how to draw that out of people to kind of help them identify that. And it's, so it's already something that people are interested in, I think, uh, especially as people get older, they retire, you know, during COVID, the grand resignation, people sort of yes. beginning to fit, say like, wait a minute, if we're going to have to struggle with this kind of, you know, bizarre situation, this is really making me take stock of, of how I live my life and, and what mm -hmm. my life's all about. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, again, it would just be like, well, how about we just take away, you know, you, you got a roof over your head, you got you got your basic requirements. Yeah. Now now go forth and, and truly find meaning. And then you you got and what'll be awesome is that, for example, we talk keep talking about teaching because that's our background. And it's like, imagine if all of the deadbeat teachers who are just doing it for a paycheck stopped. Like they just went home. Yeah. And all you had were the ones who were truly passionate about it. Yeah. You know, that would be pretty great. You know, like people who just really engage on it. How about, you know, I, I love teaching, but I did not enjoy the workload, you know, like mm -hmm. I didn't. Mm -hmm. So it was, but in order to, to survive, you had to take on a full teaching yes. schedule. And I always used to think, you know, having like one class would be like really nice, you know, like even yeah. in retirement or whatever, it's like, yeah. You, you can obsess and you can make the perfect lesson plan. You have your, your like 20 students that you meet with like once a week, and then you still have time for a life, but those students would get such quality education, mm -hmm. you know, because you would be, have the energy and the focus to give them everything they needed as opposed to, Oh, I'm balancing this crazy schedule. I'm working at three different schools and I'm just trying to remember which assignment goes with what class, you know, and I got to write some comment and it's 4 a.m. in the morning and I'm, and I'm doing my marketing. So all of that could be removed and you just have this really quality education by people who are really passionate about it. And I think we, we've, hit, we've hit the pause button for many people too, where it's like we were always in the go, go, go mode. And so work more, the more, the better and so on. And now I think we're realizing, no, it's like, Take your time, you know, take it slowly and enjoy it and, and do be better at it than just just uh, filling in uh, ticking boxes of filling in the numbers and just just working more more hours. I think yeah, that yeah. is important. And this the idea of cutting down the work week to to a four day work week. I think that's that's awesome. I think that's the, the right direction. And so once we do that and the idea is we will actually. And they've shown the studies and findings that people become more productive because they're happier, they enjoy it more. And it's also better. It's a win-win situation for everyone. Yeah, no. And I think there is a, there is some sweet spot there that we haven't quite reached. And it's like, I know, I, as you, as, as you know, I take all of my, um, all of my uh, vacation time that I usually would have gone on you know, like a two week vacation somewhere. And, you know, now I just, take like all the Mondays off for half the year. And, uh, and it's such a different vibe, you know, like I'm so much, so much happier, more productive, more engaged because it's always like, and it's another three day weekend coming up. I don't, I'm totally fine with whatever happens, you know, during those four days. And I, and I, yeah, I just, I think I generally, the, the quality of my work, I think it does improve, you know, and, and we do need, I mean, I, I was actually talking to um, to somebody about this who was like a um, what she she's an she does osteopathy and she has a very busy practice, but she's got the four day thing down and she mm -hmm. was saying the two days with the five days just 
is not workable. She mm -hmm. sees the stress. That's why people come to mm -hmm. her. The two days is usually just spent catching up on all of the, the home stuff that you need to do to keep your life going. And then, you know, a little and family or whatever, you don't actually have a chance to rest. So there sort of does need to be that third day that's just rest. And and that's something that AI could probably help us with. Exactly. I was I was thinking exactly that. They can <laughs> do the laundry. Back. I know. I was waiting for it to, to come back. Yes, they can do the laundry. They can do the folding. They can do the cleaning, stuff that uh, I don't myself enjoy. And uh, and then cooking could be optional. It's like, okay, AI, take the day off. I'm going to cook today myself. Or we're yeah. going to cook the human. And so. I think that would be awesome. Yeah, and and you know, on that topic, I, I remember some of the early things I heard about AI that I, I thought were so so great, which is there would be sensors in all of your household goods that would, like, for example, you have your laundry detergent, and then you know you got your big bottle of it, and then when it reaches like you know ninety percent empty, it trips on a sensor that immediately adds it to a, a, a digital shopping list. And so, you, uh, and then, you know, things like the, the, your, 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 your milk or whatever it is, like everything knows what, where you're at. So then, you know, at the end of the week or the end of whatever, all you, you got your, your shopping list that has been created by, by your, your Alexa or whatever. <laughs> and then you're just pushing a button or not even because it's all scheduled and then it just arrives and you know, whatever. So it's just like so many little things. I, I like see that with, with payments now it's automatic. And so you can program it. So even the monthly rent, it was something I'd worry about. It's like, Oh my God, I have to give them the check. Yeah. And, so on. and you take away those stressors and you, you just feel so much calmer. It's like, I have less things on my plate, less to worry about. And I think that's the whole idea of technology to make our life easier. And it can be done. And I'm hoping that taxes will be eliminated too. So we don't have to do it ourselves. We have programs. The government does it for us. And that, yeah. there's kind of a movement in that direction. But oh, even God. if I compare that and compare it like, I don't know, 20 years ago or so when we did taxes on uh, like handwritten taxes and you try to add it up and the numbers don't match up. And it was like, it would take days for me to do that. Yeah. And now it's, it's probably an hour and a half. It can be made simpler too. So I think that is something that a stressor that would take that would, that would take away that would take it away from me, and I would enjoy my time much more and instead of worrying every year, it's like oh my god, now I have to do this. Yeah. Well, you know what's what I'm glad is that we actually started, you know this this hour in a very dark place, talking about <laughs> the singularity and how they're they're going to take over in a kind of matrix situation where we're all just going to be like little batteries lying in a fetal position while our, you know, living in this sort of machine run world. But, but actually, you know, I think we've, we've come across a lot of real positives. And, and again, that sort of addresses that feeling that I certainly had, which I mentioned at the beginning of like, on one hand, it seems really fantastic on the other, but there's this sort of sinister cloud hanging over it. And it's so easy to kind of go from one to the other. So in our day-to-day -day lives, great. And then sort of big picture, is this going to be the matrix? I guess we'll, well, we'll we can't stop it. So we better go with the flow <laughs> and try our best. But I think the other side is super intelligence could help us solve problems that we can't solve ourselves, whether it's like famine or climate change or, again, overpopulation and so on. Just give it to AI. They will come up with a good solution. Peace as well. I'm, I'm, AI I'm, decides I'm, for us. 
I'm frightened to imagine what what solution they would offer for overpopulation. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll try to add in the uh, empathy, compassion, but also a sense of humor and see what, what yeah. comes up. <laughs> thank you so much for an awesome discussion. Thanks and thank you, Arash. We're both uh, thanking each other. And uh, yeah. this is the Chris and Arash show. And this was on artificial intelligence and other stuff, but uh, all fascinating stuff. Thanks so much.